0: Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringbar. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. How is everybody today? Good, I am so excited to be here. I am so grateful that you are all here. It is absolutely wonderful to be back together again in the room and a huge welcome to all of our friends who are watching us online. There is no replacement though is there of actually being together in proximity with each other. It is just something that is so heartwarming and I am very privileged to be here this morning. So a big, big welcome to everybody. All right, this morning, firstly, I'll just introduce myself to those who might not know me. Uh, My name is Jess Miko. I'm one of the elders here at Kingsway. Um, And part of the way I contribute to our community here is to help with planning and designing uh, the preaching series that we do throughout the year. Um, So that's me and my role here, which is great. And um, I'm very, very honoured to be able to share with you today. I'm very excited about the message that we have on the Book of Ruth. It's an, an obscure little book, often sort of reduced down to women's ministry or something like that, but it's actually so beautiful. And a lot of prayerful consideration has gone into this series because... I really feel that God has something to say to help us process and maybe make sense of what we're dealing with at the moment. So we're not shying away from that in series, I'm sorry. It's not gonna be one of those escape things. We're going right in there. We're gonna try and think about what is happening and process how God might want us to respond. But before we start, I wanna acknowledge that this season has been really hard. I'm sure it has for everyone here. It's kind of a strange collective experience that everyone is going through globally, but one of the ways that a lot of people tend to be dealing with this at the moment is through humour, which I find to be quite great. So I've got a couple of things that I found that are quite funny. So, in quarantine, my commute is now from my bed to my living room, and I'm still late to work every day. I'm beginning to think I am the problem. Has anyone been working from home? Have the problem of logging on? Maybe a little bit late. No excuses. <laughs> and the next one? Zoom needs a button that plays wrap it up music like at the Oscars. <laughs> thought that was quite funny and then this next one's my favorite so you've got the zoom meeting audio only and then zoom meeting with video (laughs) yeah I thought that was quite good all right so let's pray and then we'll get into the message today God we just thank you that you are here with us that you are a God who is present that you are a God who came to Earth to be with us. We thank you that you are a God of hope, and we thank you that your message is one of light in the darkness. We thank you that uh, we can be here together today. We uplift all of those who are going through immense pain and suffering at the moment, and we pray that they would know that you are with them. We thank you For your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning I'm going to be preaching on the first chapter of Ruth. So what we're going to do, first of all, is read that chapter together. So if you'd like, you can turn to that in your Bibles, otherwise I'll have it up on the screen for you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons and they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if that even even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Two of my favorite things to do is watching movies. I love watching movies. And I also love history. Anyone who knows me knows I love history. Bonus if you can have the two together history movies. <laughs> I love them. And what I love about historical fiction is that you have this beautiful picture of this historical event happening in the background, but the director and the writer of the movie focused on one particular story. And that story represents what is happening to people. It can be very easy for us to think about history as just a series of events that happened in the past. But what we can often forget is that history actually is the result of individual people's choices, decisions, experiences, and how they're all interrelated to each other. So watching these movies is actually quite enlightening because it brings history to life. It helps you realize that these were real people going through real experiences. It connects you to an individual story in the midst of a bigger, narrative and particularly history tends to focus on things like well some of my favorite ones are um, World War One or World War Two movies um, it holds a special place in my heart my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor so upon learning that that's part of the reason why history feels so personal to me but one of my favorite movies of all time is life is beautiful has anyone seen that heartbreaking beautiful, but it makes that experience real. It makes it less about the facts and figures and more about the individual person. That is what the book of Ruth is. The book of Ruth is set in this time in Israelite history, the time of the judges. This was an incredibly tumultuous, difficult time in Israelite history after Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land, into the land of the Canaanites, after their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite tribes entered into this land but faced immense difficulties, which you can read about in the book of Judges. They were thrust into this foreign world of pagan gods and warring tribes and had to somehow find their way In that place. They struggled to secure safe land and were only mostly able to secure the areas of the land that were devoid of natural resources, making for a pretty harsh and difficult life. One of those areas where the Israelites were able to gain some control was Bethlehem. This is a town in now modern-day Palestine. So Bethlehem geographically lies in a completely open, vulnerable and exposed kind of region, which makes it quite susceptible to being impacted by the elements. So if there is a drought, if there is withering heat, there's no protection there. But most of the residents in Bethlehem were farmers. It was a very lucrative career when all the elements worked in your favor, but if you found yourself facing a drought or a heat, then that is devastating for your family. One bad season meant destruction and devastation for those who relied on the harvest for their livelihood. And chapter one of Ruth begins exactly this situation. A farming family, Naomi, her husband and her two sons, were left devastated by circumstances outside of their control. In that moment, they had three choices. They could starve, they could change occupations, but that would have been quite difficult, or they could move. And they chose the latter and made the journey to the region of Moab across the Dead Sea which is now modern-day Jordan. In making this choice, Elimelech gave up his status, his inheritance, his security, and his community in order to save his family. They became refugees, forced to make the devastating choice to survive. And if that heartbreaking scenario isn't enough, Elimelech and his two sons die, leaving Naomi completely alone in a foreign land without any kind of security, income, or hope. The only option for her is to return to the land, her own land, in the hope that someone there will make the necessary sacrifices to care for her. It's a pretty bleak start to this story. But a whole chapter is dedicated to fleshing out the gravity of Naomi's suffering and loss. The author certainly isn't in a hurry to overlook this. And in a time when writing was impossibly expensive and writers did not include anything that wasn't absolutely necessary, Why is so much of this story, a quarter of it, dedicated to expressing such a tragic event? What is the author trying to say and what can we learn? My first point today is call me bitter. One of the most moving parts of this first chapter of Ruth is when Naomi expresses her grief facing the gravity of her situation, the loss of her family, being uprooted from her place of residence, facing an uncertain and insecure future. It all comes crashing down around her and she cries out in despair. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. You can just hear the devastation in her words, the heartbreak and the grief that she is experiencing. What's interesting is that she throws her anger at God, accusing him of bringing despair upon her. It's clear in that moment that she feels abandoned, but she has the courage to be honest about that. And this is not the only time that this type of response is represented in the Bible. The Psalms are full of accusations and cries of lament and desperation. Job accuses God of unfair oppression. And even Jesus himself feels abandoned by God on the cross. So what does this tell us about our own experiences of grief? It tells us that suffering and loss are a part of life and that all human beings, including Jesus, experience pain and grief. And it tells us that acknowledging our grief is a crucial part of processing that pain. Unfortunately, as a society, we don't do a great job of acknowledging and processing grief. We are very quick to move to the redemption stories, very quick to talk about the miracles and the restorations very quick to try and push grief away. Brene Brown says, we run from grief because loss scares us. Yet our hearts reach towards grief because the broken parts want to mend. What fascinates me is that Naomi's grief is allowed so much space in this story that her accusations against God can be spoken, or perhaps screamed, and they're not challenged. They're not corrected. We see in a later chapter that Naomi actually changes her perspective on God's role in her suffering. But for now, we see Naomi being given the grace to be honest about how she feels. Acknowledging grief is a crucial part on the road to healing, but it's incredibly difficult to do. Because acknowledging grief is acknowledging that things aren't right, that things haven't turned out the way we wanted them to, that we've lost someone or something important to us. That's really hard. Grief has been a big part of my journey these last few months. All of my family live overseas. My mum is in hospital right now recovering from major surgery. I can't be there. I don't know when I'm going to be there. That's really hard. We can often feel that being honest about how we feel is somehow bad or unchristian because yelling to God, Where are you? or well, This is on you doesn't sound very faith-filled or holy. But refusing to acknowledge our emotions just leads to more hurt. That's not holy either. Acknowledging grief takes courage. It makes us feel vulnerable, fragile, and out of control. But it's a crucial part of the path to healing and to freedom. And just like Naomi, We need to be honest with ourselves and we need to be honest with God. This story tells us God gives us the grace to do that. Where you go, I go. The second point of this story teaches us that we're not meant to do this alone. In the midst of Naomi's immense grief, Ruth's compassion, empathy, and dedication to her mother-in-law shines through. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. It's important to remember that Ruth is experiencing her own grief. Her own husband died. Her own security, her livelihood, her future is gone. She has the opportunity to leave Naomi to fend for herself and go and secure herself another husband, another future. She has the advantage here. She's the Moabite. They're in Moab. It's her territory. Her family live there. She understands the culture. She understands the religion. She's accepted there. But knowing that Naomi had no one else to support her, Ruth makes the choice to stay loyal to Naomi, to potentially sacrifice her own future, to care for Naomi, to uproot herself from everything she's ever known and go with Naomi to a foreign land. You know, a very real, honest, and difficult question to ask in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of chaos, is where is God in all of this? And it's quite interesting that in the book of Ruth, God is not a main character. God doesn't have a main role. He's referred to, but he never speaks. And I'm sure a lot of us, as Kim was saying before, can maybe relate to that. Where is God in this global crisis? One of my favorite theologians, Mike Frost, said in a recent podcast that when we care for one another, when we reach out and we build community together, we are participating in the presence of God. In other words, God is present in our love for one another. God is present when we listen to each other, when we bear our grief together, when we cook for each other, when we pray for each other, when we cry together. God is present in those moments. Again, Brene Brown says, empathy has no script. There is no right or wrong way to do it. It is simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and that incredibly healing message of you're not alone. Ruth dedicated herself to Naomi. And as we'll see, Naomi dedicated herself to Ruth. They shared the burden of their grief together and began on the road of healing together. And One of the greatest difficulties in this pandemic has been isolation. There really is no replacing real in-person connection. It's so easy to get caught up in our own worlds, especially when we're not seeing each other as often. We're not picking up on the emotional cues, we're not looking at someone and saying, are you okay? I don't feel like something's right about you. That's hard when we have to be so separate. This is where we need God's wisdom. It's not an excuse to give up. It's a charge to press on and to try everything we can to reach out and be there for each other in this time. Acknowledging grief is really hard. We cannot do it alone. Ruth the Moabite. The author of this story makes it very clear that Ruth is a Moabite. To ancient Israel, this had incredible significance. Numbers 25 tells us how the Moabites were Baal worshippers and how the Israelites gave them over to Baal worship when they were living in proximity with Moab. This gave them quite a bad reputation. They were not the type of people Israel was supposed to be mixing with. By the world's eyes, there was nothing at all significant about Ruth. She was a foreign woman from a despised region who found herself widowed and without children. That's about as insignificant as you can get in the ancient world. But what is absolutely remarkable is that this book is called Ruth. There are so many characters, incredible, upstanding characters of godliness and holiness in this book. Boaz is the redeemer of the story. He is the one who rescues them all, and he is considered a type of Christ. The book's not called Boaz. Even Naomi, she begins the story, she ends it. She literally bookends the story, and she's an Israelite. The book's not called Naomi, it's called Ruth. The foreigner the only non-Israelite to have a book named after her in the Old Testament. To me, this holds incredible significance that in the midst of a national crisis of famine and oppression where so many people are experiencing so much suffering, Ruth is seen. Ruth is heard. Her choices are honored and her loyalty is revered. To me, this says so much about the character of God. It's so easy for us in the midst of this global crisis when there is so much suffering and so much worry and anxiety to feel so lost and insignificant. There is so much going on. People are going through so much. Why, I feel so lost, I feel so alone. It's just there's too much going on. Everyone's so busy trying to survive. If God can see Ruth when the world says she's not even worth being seen, what does that say about us? God sees us too. And even though we might feel so insignificant, and that our pain and our suffering is just not seen or heard by anybody. We can know from this story that God will go to the depths of the earth and pick out the most insignificant person by the world's eyes and elevate her to this incredible place of honour and worthiness, to comfort her and to provide her with family. And God does that for us too. last point, the harvest was beginning. These are the last few words of chapter one and they hold the most incredible promise of hope. The harvest was beginning. Naomi left her hometown in the midst of a devastating and life-threatening famine. She returns to a plentiful, renewed harvest, to new hope and a new promise. The setting of a new harvest is really significant. Moses had commanded the Israelites to remember Israel's redemption from Egypt during the time of the new harvest. It would have been a time of mixed emotions, dealing with the trauma of the past as they prepare for the promise of the future. And Ruth and Naomi, no doubt, are experiencing the same thing. As they returned, there was still insecurity and uncertainty about what lay ahead for these women, but in the midst of the unknown, there was hope. I know so many of us are feeling the weight of uncertainty, of anxiety and fear about what lies ahead for us. It's scary and it's uncertain, and it's strange, but it, and it's really important to acknowledge that. It's okay to say, I'm afraid, and I don't know what's gonna happen. But we also have to hold on to hope that the harvest will come, that the suffering will end, and there will be newness once again. I just want to read you a psalm When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. That's Psalm 126. And I feel like that's such a promise for us. As we go out sowing and weeping, it's important to recognize that a crucial part of the harvest is the weeping. It's the work, it's the toil, it's the effort. We can't throw the seed in the ground and expect it to just spring up with a harvest. It doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It would be much easier if it did. But the part of the weeping for us is an important part of the journey And it's really hard, but we need to do it together and have hope to believe that the harvest will come, that we will have new life again, new hope and new promise. So let's hold on to that together, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.